things this size. Knowing. Well, what else? Look at the scale of things. You're wrong, Ian, completely wrong. I, I thought just now that something was wrong when I saw that, but now I'm sure. All right. What's your theory, then? Well, these things haven't been made bigger. We've been made smaller. Smaller? We have been reduced roughly to the size of an inch. An inch? <laughs> you, me, all of us, and the ship? Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. This week, we will be watching The Planet of Giants. The Planet of Giants was directed by Mervyn Pinfield and Douglas Camfield. Cam, sorry, Camfield was written by Lewis Marks was produced by Verity Lambert, and debuted October 31st, 1964, through November 14th, 1964. So yeah, this is the special Halloween episode. Ooh, it came out on October 31st. Ooh. So, Caleb, given what you know about Doctor Who so far, and the title of this episode, The Planet of Giants, what do you think this episode's going to be about? This is the episode where Shankar von Shankar's the travelers arrive on a planet of giants, and after breaking into a giant's home, they accidentally uh, knock him over and hit his head on a corner of a giant table and kill him and get arrested and taken to giant court where they live out the rest of their lives in giant prison. And no, that's not a Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> <laughs> Is it an episode of Rick and Morty? <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> that's an episode of Rick and Morty. See, I thought you were just coming up with your own like alternate ending to <laughs> the Jack and the Beanstalk, but all right. <laughs> no, there's a there's a there's a moment in the episode where uh, this like giant lawyer gets Rick and Morty like acquitted from murder, and he's like, "These two are free free fi to fall home," and everyone's like, "What?" and he's like. Uh, are you serious? It's like a we're giants. That's the thing we say. It's amazing. It's an incredible. It's an incredible moment. I'm sure someone out there has done a Doctor Who, Rick and Morty, uh, mashup somewhere. I mean, if you really think about it, Rick and Morty is basically just like a cynical animated version of Doctor Who. <laughs> it really is. Rick is the Doctor, and Morty is his companion. <laughs> but yeah, but that's my prediction. Okay, I mean. Up until a certain point, it was a solid prediction. <laughs> I mean, you're right in the sense that there's giants in it. <laughs> Not totally wrong. I don't remember this episode, like, at all. So um, I have no way of knowing how accurate you are. But uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out together. And with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. <laughs> And we're back. 
may have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was a week for us. It's actually exactly yeah, a, week a week on the dot. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. So just a couple of a couple of uh, trivia notes here. Uh, first trivia note is that we're both sitting on the floor in our respective apartments. That's kind of neat. My spine. <laughs> and then on actually relevant trivia notes, this is the first episode since An Unearthly Child set on contemporary Earth. Technically. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to it when we get to episode three, but I'm sure you probably noticed, or maybe you didn't, I don't know. This episode was originally supposed to be a four-parter, but, and I want you to really understand the gravity of what of the words I'm about to speak here, Caleb. They thought it was too slow, so they edited it down to three episodes. What? The creators... Of Doctor Who thought the episode was too slow. So in the editing room, they just took episode three and four and mashed them together. It's a miracle. So they can do it then. That is that is a thing they can do. That means all the slowness in the prior episodes was a decision. <laughs> yeah. So the Daleks and Marco Polo... Fuck, what was on the cutting room floor for Daleks and Marco Polo? Jesus Christ. <laughs> They're like, hey, these 13 other episodes we have Marco Polo, I don't think we need them. But, but episode nine, where they have to deal with, where they have to deal with the giant elephants. I thought that was really, that was really necessary for Ian's development as a character. <laughs> I see, you see, I say that and then I'm like, giant elephants are way more interesting than anything that happened in Marco Polo. Than anything that happened. This is also the first episode that uh, sees the TARDIS shrink in size. It is not the last, but that's not going to be for a good long while before we see that particular drop again. <laughs> but yeah, Planet of the Giants. Caleb, just in general, before we really get into it, what are your thoughts? I didn't hate it. It was a fun little romp. Yes, yeah, a fun little romp. It was fine. Um, I think I was really interested in kind of this, like, B story like conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I have, I have some thoughts that was that was that was fun yeah it was it had like vague environmentalist undertones yeah it was it was fine um yeah that, that, I, I don't really have much else to say about it and that's the episode yeah. <laughs> follow us <laughs> <laughs> yep that's it that's all we got uh unfortunately I think this might be the first episode although i can't remember what your prediction of the sensorites was i think this might be the first episode where we had to have a zero percent prediction <laughs> i think my prediction of the sensorites was like they were like the personification of the five senses so i'm gonna call that like a negative <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah okay so let's go ahead and dive right in yes episode one planet of the giants believe it or not the doctor is sure he has the time and place correct However, the door to the TARDIS opens prematurely before it has properly materialized. With the scanner overloaded from the incident, the travelers head outside to scope out the situation. They quickly find giant insects and oversized objects. While at first it seems like a land of giants at first, Susan and the doctor quickly conclude that the travelers themselves have shrunk. As they figure this out, someone enters the room Susan and Ian find themselves in. Ian falls into a matchbox and is picked up and carried away. On the big person level, the man, a government official named Pharaoh, 
meets with a businessman named Forrester. Forrester wants Farrell to approve a pesticide called DN6 for mass production, but Farrell refuses because of its danger to all forms of insects. In response, Forrester kills the man. On the Traveler's level, the doctors, Susan and Barb, catch up to Ian and they observe the dead body. As the group turn to leave, they spot a cat leering at them. There was um there was a line said near the beginning of this episode. Well, I don't I don't I just have quotation marks written down. I don't so I don't know who said what, but this feels like a conversation between the doctor and Susan. It says nothing has ever happened like this before. Well, the door has never opened like that before. And I'm like, so we're just ignoring Edge of Destruction then. Yeah, it's just, just not canon. Completely pushing that out of our minds. <laughs> Is it this episode where they just where they explain how it is they shrink? No, I don't think they. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember if it's this episode or a future episode because I actually kind of like their description. I mean, I mean, it's it's uh, what's the sci-fi gobbledygook equivalent? Techno babble. It's it's sci-fi techno babble, but it's good sci-fi techno babble. Yeah, I don't remember where they explain it. But this is the original Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes, that's one of my notes. My notes is, this episode has some serious Honey, I Shrunk the Kids vibes. <laughs> How long has it been since I watched that movie? I think I watched it once when I was like seven. I think I watched that movie like once as well. I remember watching Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves a lot though. Where it's like the parents get shrunk and then the kids throw a party because the parents are gone. Anyway, not, not not relevant at all. I don't know. Actually, incredibly relevant. This is a Honey I Shrunk the Kids podcast. It was it was I was I was having some some fun some fun Honey I Shrunk the Kids vibes because they were they're walking around this set and it's like there's a there's a giant worm and there's a giant fly and Ian climbs into a matchbox and I was just watching this and I was like this would be the most fun set to play on ever i want to go there it'd be so cool because i feel like there was some it might have been disney world i don't remember but there was some sort of amusement park that i went to as a kid where it was like everything is overgrown and you are like you are an ant kind of thing and you're seeing the world how the ant is that was a lot of fun and i was just having flashbacks while watching this episode and i was like this looks like it would just be the best episode to film yeah and i actually really appreciate on some level the uh the editing work that went into it mm. because i mean at the time this would have been like what 1964 when this came out yeah 1964 for a british tv show this it's some pretty high concept editing they did so yeah i know what you're talking about because there was an epi- there was a bit where the group splits up it's the doctor and barbara on one end and susan and ian on the other which is nice because it's usually Ian and the Doctor and then Barbara and Susan and Barbara and Ian. Sorry, that. The Doctor and Susan and then Barbara and Ian over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice that they, they mixed up the teams. It's kind of like when in an episode of Scooby-Doo where it's not the same three and two. They mixed. Yeah, anyway. Both groups are coming to the same conclusion at the same time. And it's really it was really fun because it's like they were having the conversation and like it would cut to the other group as if they are answering the question that was just asked by the original group. Like the doctor um, said something to Barbara and then Ian reacted as if Susan just said that. And it just like went back and forth. 
It was kind of a cool scene. I like that scene. Yeah, no, I thought it was good too. This episode is actually also like surprisingly well paced, even though like when I read the description, it's uh, yeah, they wander around like a big stuff for a little bit, and then uh, some guy gets shot, and then that's the episode. It's it actually moves along pretty well. There was a moment early on because the doctor is doing his TARDIS thing, and then things go haywire. Doors open, and he's freaking out. And at one point, he like snaps at Barbara, and basically tells her that she doesn't know what she what she's talking about. And but then like a little bit later, the doctor comes up to Barbara and apologizes. He didn't he didn't mean to snap at her kind of thing and i was like that that's that's nice it's a nice little character moment of the doctor being less of a dick than normal i it's so funny i thought that too is like i'm sorry i snapped at you it's like the doctor doesn't apologize for stuff like that he's like yeah i was being mean but maybe you shouldn't be such a idiot (laughs) i mean he's gotten better at it slightly he's gotten more apologetic the doctor's a lot friendlier in this episode than i thought in previous episodes even though yeah he's Mm. kind of been less of a dick it's it's a big jump for me in this episode it was mm. like whiplash i was like why is he so nice i'm like i'm 15 minutes in this episode and he hasn't berated ian yet <laughs> he hasn't gone out of his way to try and get ian killed or say ian's name wrong <laughs> <laughs> the music is having a lot of fun in this episode because i i don't remember exactly how the music goes but it's very like uh jovial and whimsical and which is fine because there's a lot of parts in this episode where it's jovial and whimsical, but I feel like the jovial and whimsical music continues even while the crew is just staring this dead man in the face, and it's a little <laughs> jarring. Which which is something that happened in the Reign of Terror too, right? Like the the doctor's just going along with the stroll. Yes, <laughs> I I kind of want to check to see if like they had if those two episodes had the same composer or whatever yeah uh but yeah but yeah it's fine and then we get into like a conspiracy that was cool even though forster pulls out probably the tiniest little gun i've ever seen in my life it's like a men in black-esque tiny gun (laughs) it is like smaller than his hand (laughs) tiny gun i appreciate the plot i think it's really interesting forster is one of those like cartoonishly stupid bad guys yeah no he's definitely He's real dumb. I, I want this patent, and I want it done so I can make lots of money. I will do that by murdering you in broad daylight outside of your apartment. Yeah. I got the feeling that he had absolutely, I mean, obviously, he had absolutely no idea what he was doing and just kept making, making panic to decision after panic decision. Because, like, this guy was going to ruin his business, so kill him. Ah, shit, I just killed a man. Um, uh, I gotta get rid of the body. Um, shit, I need to... I need to call someone, I think. Yeah, we'll, was... we'll get to the calling. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the calling, yeah. <laughs> there was a bit. I feel like I start all of my my topics with there was a bit, but whatever. Take a shot, whatever. Barbara was, uh, or it was either Barbara or Susan who was like climbing up onto a brick to try and see how far away Ian was. <laughs> and the doctor is like, no, 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 no. You might hurt yourself. Please allow me. And he begins climbing, but like he needs help climbing because he's such an old man i just feel like just just let them look doctor just let them fucking climb up from your perspective like two feet and just look up it's fine i'm sure they'll survive susan's young she's spry she can climb up there no problem 
<laughs> I, had the, I had the line of Forrester came prepared to this meeting. <laughs> like you do not just bring a gun in your inside jacket pocket if you don't intend to use it. <laughs> Forrester's a high stakes salesman, if you know what I mean. Death of a salesman too. This time it's personal. <laughs> One really jarring editing. Wait, what? What? What just happened? What? Because Ian's taken away. He's put in the matchbox. And then they they climb up on the brick and they're like, oh man, he's all the way over there across the yard. And then it's just like hard cut to Ian being with the party. I'm like, okay, I guess Ian's met up with the party. Apparently. Based on previous Doctor Who episodes, I figured they were going to spend like an episode or two of the three of them trekking across the yard. But as we've established, Mac, the creators are starting to figure out this thing called pace. Yeah, we still haven't gotten to the longest episode yet. Oh, God. <laughs> Which is in this season. Oh, God. By the way, just a heads up. We'll, we'll reach that episode, and the plus side is it'll all be downhill from there. <laughs> in more ways than one very end at the stinger the cat appears and i guess it's because i've seen the movie cinderella within the past couple of months but the moment that the, the cat appeared on the screen i instantly went rusafi <laughs> um that's also what i know as like the second blood curling scream susan has delivered for us <laughs> this episode i think i'm becoming desensitized to it caleb i don't even think i noticed her freak out <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, so, like, she, she, like, really gives us one there, but then she has, like, another, like, little freak out, I think, like, when the TARDIS is going wild. So, I just remember hearing it and being like, wow, we're really, this is a Susan episode, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Also, Chef Kiss, solid, solid use of your TARDIS model. You know, the TARDIS model they have that, like, mm -hmm. like fades in when it, when it materializes? I think they used that in the beginning of Keys of Marinus. This was perfect. This was like what that was designed for. Because they just put it on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Call it a day. Mission accomplished. That's all I have for episode one. Do you have anything that thoughts? Yeah, that's all I have. There's a big key cat at the end. Big key cat. Big key cat. That uh, surprise. This is going to absolutely shock anyone who hasn't watched this episode yet. But the cat, totally fucking irrelevant after 30 seconds of episode two. <laughs> That's how every single cliffhanger is, Caleb. I told you, you're going to have to get used to this. No, I refuse. I'm never going to get over it. This is going to be a long fucking podcast then, Caleb, because it's in almost every single episode. And guess what? I really complain every single episode until they fix it, which I think is never. This was a fun, quick trip through space and time, but I think I think we're going to go ahead and call it here. <laughs> All right, I'm reading the episode description. You can't stop me. Okay. <laughs> okay. The group escaped the cat by Jurassic Parking it. After it wanders off, Susan and the doctor hide in a bush, and Ian and Barb get into Farrell's briefcase as Forrester approaches with a new accomplice. The other man is Smithers, the scientist who created DN6. He agrees to help Forrester hide the body and make his death look like an accident. They clear up the evidence and take the briefcase containing Ian and Barb. Once they escape the briefcase, the two look around the lab they have been brought to. Barb touches a strange-looking seed and faints when she encounters an oversized fly. When she awakens, Ian tells her that the fly died when it landed on a pile of seeds similar to the one she touched. The doctor and Susan make their way through a drain pipe to make it into the lab. 
They find themselves in a sink and use the echo effect created by it to get Ian and Barb's attention. As the two go to rejoin their companions, Smithers returns to, to the lab to wash blood off of his hands. The Doctor and Susan are forced to go back down the drain pipe, and the episode ends with Smithers draining water down the sink. At the very beginning, I feel like some of our listeners might be a little confused. At the very beginning of your recap for this episode, you say you said that they Jurassic Parked the cat. What did you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, they remained perfectly still until it went away. Yeah, that yeah, they were like, don't move. Its sight depends on movement, and then the cat just fucked off to never be seen again in this story. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if the cat was like a reoccurring threat? Honestly, that would have been great. <laughs> I would have loved that. But I don't know. <laughs> they just, they didn't move, and I guess the cat got bored. Like, cats aren't even, like, faintly perceptive to anything. Uh, now, this comes before before they go in and touch the seeds and everything, so... Um, help me out here, Caleb. I'm not sure what my note means here when I say, God damn it, Barb. Did she trip? I feel like she probably tripped. Barb trips a lot. Yeah, I think so. I think she fell over and her hand was on the seed. Well, it wasn't, it was, I think it was when they were still outside that I wrote this note. Oh, yeah. I mean, she trips a lot in this episode, so. Yeah, so I guess we'll just <laughs> chop it up to a trip. Also, going back a second. Listeners, if you don't know what I mean when I say they Jurassic Parked it to get this cat to fuck off, Go culture yourselves, pause this podcast, and go watch Jurassic Park. Look, in their defense, I am 28 years old, and I saw Jurassic Park for the first time, like, beginning to end, like, three or four years ago. What? I The, the funny thing about Jurassic Park is that I had seen every single part of Jurassic Park at some point in my life, but it was all out of order. So I know that so I knew what happened. It's just I never watched it in order. And then uh, a couple years ago, we rented Jurassic Park and I sat down and <laughs> watched it beginning to end for the first time in my life when I was like 24 years old. Mac, you're uncultured swine. This is almost yeah. as bad as you seeing The Matrix for the first time when I took you to see it in like the 20 year anniversary in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> well, it yeah. Fun fact about me is that anytime I'm in a new group of people, inevitably we play the game of what movies has everyone seen that Mac hasn't. And up until up until then, Jurassic Park was one of my favorite uh, cards to pull out. And now you can't. No longer. You uncultured swine. It was also around that time that I also watched Anchorman for the first time. Oh, I'm sure you love that. That is not your sense of humor at all. <laughs> I wish that I hadn't seen it. Because I got more enjoyment out of telling people I had never seen Anchorman than I ever did watching Anchorman. <laughs> I hated that movie, Caleb. I hated that movie so goddamn much. That movie is totally my sense of humor. <laughs> uh, let's see. This is a this is a podcast where we're talking about movies that I love that Mac hates. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, when we were in middle school, you strapped me to a chair and Clockwork Orange style forced me to watch Napoleon Dynamite. I still haven't forgiven you for that. Nope. <laughs> One of the worst movies I've ever seen. Incredible. Fucking hate that film. Masterpiece. Peak American cinema. Anyway, I think we were watching, we were talking about uh, some British sci-fi show or something. Yeah, what was that? Uh, I don't know. Doctor something. Sherlock, I think. Yeah, Sherlock. That was it. <laughs> you will not be watching Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. At the beginning, they hear the um, regular-sized humans coming, and... I have to, and they all like basically scatter to try and hide. And I have to question Ian and Barbara's logic 
because they were basically like, quick, into the briefcase that was definitely going to be picked up here in a minute. It's our only chance. <laughs> so they escape into the briefcase and <gasps> gasp, shock, horror. The dude picks up the briefcase and then brings it inside. But Mac, how would the plot have advanced if they didn't get in the briefcase? I mean, it wouldn't have, but also that's a dumb thing they just did. <laughs> yes, it is a dumb thing. Most of the decisions in this show are, like, forced to move the plot along. I'm not sure if you've caught on to that. I mean, I definitely have. <laughs> uh, so they get inside. From an editing perspective, this is one of my favorite moments when, like, they're looking up and they see all the beakers and stuff. I appreciate probably how much of an insane amount of work went into that one shot. Probably, yeah. Yeah, Ian and Barbara are inside. The Doctor and Susan are outside, and they had the and they're like, we have to get inside, and... They go over to this pipe where the chemicals from the in, from the laboratory inside have been like being like fumigated kind of thing. And the doctor's like, we have to go up the pipe. And Susan's like, we, we but that we can't. We can't go up the pipe. And the doctor's like, yes, of course, my dear. There is there is no other way. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. We certainly can't. I don't know. Crawl underneath the door or anything. No, let's go through the. The pipe that's just riddled with various chemicals that will definitely kill us. Yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> Surely, there could have been anything. Anything else. I'd rather see the, the doctor tame the cat, to be honest. I was just about to say, I want him to tame the cat and then ride in like a stallion. <laughs> now that's a masterpiece. Susan touches the seed and... Uh, Bar Barbara. Barbara. Barbara touches the seed. Uh, and then they see the fly, and she immediately just passes out, which I don't blame her. I would also pass out. I hate fruit flies more than I hate <laughs> anything, I think. I'm surprised that they didn't have, like, a spider show up. Oh, I would have I turned it off. I'm not going to lie, man. I canceled <laughs> the podcast right there. <laughs> I'm not fucking spiders. You're making a face. Are there spiders in later episodes? I mean, there may or may not be an episode called The Planet of Spiders. Oh, my God. Nope, we're skipping that one. <laughs> but, like... That's a little bit further on. Maybe you'll get over your arachnophobia by that point. <laughs> 29 years in so far. <laughs> Haven't made any progress on it. <laughs> and it's in color. <laughs> nope. We're canceled. But yeah, there's the, there's the pile of seeds that have all been covered with the insecticide. And I love... It's kind of hilarious just how ignorant everyone around Barbara is to Barbara who's definitely touched those seeds because ian just has like this moment uh, who's where he's just like whatever you do don't touch those seeds it is vitally important that you don't touch those seeds if you do it will definitely kill you say what did you need to borrow my handkerchief for anyway <laughs> uh and she she just acts really sus when she's sick yeah because like the line that jumped out to me like ian is like barbara what's wrong with you? And she's like, don't bring it up to the others. And then just keeps going. I'm like, what? Yeah. Cause I don't understand why Barbara didn't tell them that she got the insecticide on her hands. Yeah. This isn't even one of those things where like, it makes sense to lie. Like you got bitten by a zombie or something and you're like, you're trying to not be thrown out. It doesn't even make sense in that capacity. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense for her to not tell. And it doesn't make and. I don't understand how none of them caught on because there was so many moments where she's like, then we'll be, get, be able to 
get get the scientist's attention and we'll be able to figure out figure out a cure. And it's like, oh no, 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 we don't need to figure out a cure. This is this is totally not our problem. Why? Why do you why do you need to find a cure? No reason. I'm just curious, I guess. <laughs> I just really want to fix it. I I love the environment. <laughs> I just really like science. Aren't you the history te- teacher? Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me. I think this is in the next episode when they find the journal or whatever. But <laughs> Ian has a line where they're like looking at chemical formulas and he's like, I don't recognize any of these, doctor. What are these? It's like, Ian, you're a chemistry teacher. You're a goddamn <laughs> chemistry teacher. Yes, that is one of my what? lines. That is definitely one of my notes in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> the writers at this point have completely forgotten what Ian's. He's completely forgotten that Ian's a science teacher. You said that it's totally understandable that uh, the fly is worth fainting over. Meanwhile, I have a note where I'm like, yeah, the fly is freaky, but it's still just a fly. Wouldn't it just like fly away the moment you'd like, ah, ah, makes any sort of like movement towards it? I don't know. When you're the same size as it, maybe not. I don't know. Flies aren't particularly like aggressive creatures. They have no way to defend themselves. Now, I mean, if it were me... I would have gone through a blind rage and murdered it. <laughs> I hate fruit flies. <laughs> flies are just gross. They're just gross. They constantly have shit on their hands. And they make that horrible buzzing sound. I'd if I didn't if I didn't go into violent rage, I'd probably faint. So I just have a note that says the itsy bitsy doctor went up the water spout. No further thoughts, just just that. <laughs> <laughs> What else happens in this episode? They spend a lot of time in the sink. Yeah, speaking of the sink and speaking of stuff that happens in this episode, uh, you want to know something that happens? The fucking psychopath washes his hands in the weirdest goddamn way I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. He plugs up the drain and then fills up the sink with water and then washes his hands from the spout and like putting his hands in the in the sink water and like washes it and then undoes the who the fuck washes their hands like that someone who's obviously an accomplice to murder obviously that was fucking weird (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad that's the part you got hung up on i looked at that and i was like that man is a goddamn psychopath and he has probably helped get rid of bodies before (laughs) He was surprisingly, like, he was, he seemed more annoyed about it in the first episode than, like, horrified that there was a dead body. <laughs> yeah, he was, he's very chill. Which, uh, maybe Pharaoh, or Forrester, rather, maybe this isn't the first time that he's killed someone. <laughs> and this other guy just comes in, it's like, fucking again? Seriously? Stop bringing guns to every single one of your business meetings. Maybe this won't happen as often. I'm a high-stakes salesman. That excuse isn't going to work anymore. <laughs> that excuse has only worked for you in the courts, what? Twice? Three times tops? It's not going to work a fourth time. Anyway, that's all I have to say about the episode. Yeah, episode. that's also all I have to say. Uh, we're going to get to my favorite episode, which is the third episode. For a myriad of reasons. It's my favorite episode <laughs> of the three for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hit me. All right, episode three, Crisis. Of course, Susan and the doctor are fine and escape drowning. Forrester has Dr. Farrell's report to OKDN6. He then calls the ministry and poses as Farrell on the phone. 
The conversation is overheard by the switchboard operator, and her and her police officer husband begin to suspect something. After reuniting the two groups, they find a notebook containing all the information on DN6. The doctor deduces it is a dangerous pesticide, and the travelers try to use the phone to call the police, but the switchboard operator cannot hear them as they yell into the receiver. Barbara begins to feel the effects of DN6, and her companions realize that she has been in contact with it. Forrester and Smithers come into the lab to hang up the phone, and the companions hide. Forrester does the single worst impersonation of all time, and the switchboard op and the police are alarmed by the situation. The companions try to start a fire to draw attention to the house, but the police show up and deal with it before that. The companions make their way back to the ship, and the doctor is able to reverse the shrinking. By returning to normal size, the amount of DN6 Barbara is coming into contact with becomes far from fatal. The doctor reconfigures the TARDIS, and they rematerialize somewhere else. The doctor is only able to make out the image of water on the scanner. So, can we just talk, can we just dive into the best and worst parts of this episode? Which is Forrester on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Before we really get into it, this moment gives me big hot fuzz vibes. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Uh, Hot fuzz is one of my favorite movies. And no, I don't know what you're talking about. So towards the end, after... um, <clears throat> Spoilers for Hot Fuzz, I guess. Oh, yeah. Spoilers for Hot Fuzz. After he knocks out the big simpleton guy uh, that mm. goes, Yar! Oh, the whole oh okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> He's on the phone with the ring. <laughs> and he keeps asking questions like, are, are the two dealt with? Yar! <laughs> are they going to get back up? Nar! Nar? <laughs> Good. It has those vibes. <laughs> Fun fact, did not realize this at first. I think it's because he was clean shaven in this episode, but I just watched an episode of New Who, and that guy who is asking the questions in that scene, the guy who's like in charge of the supermarket or whatever, yeah. he's in an episode of Doctor Who. Amazing. Just a heads up. <laughs> <laughs> but hilarious. Comically bad. <laughs> The fact that he calls the ministry like Pharaoh's place of work and does not change his voice at all. Doesn't change his voice at all. All he does is like put a rag over the receiver. So I guess it sounds more muffled. Like lower your pitch, lower or heighten your pitch. Something, something. (laughs) Don't use the exact same voice twice. (laughs) It reminds me of. There was a commercial I saw once. I don't remember for what it was. It was like an investor for small businesses kind of thing or a website for small businesses or something. I don't know. Where it was just like one guy in his garage and on the phone. He's like, you you need to talk to marketing. Uh, yes, please hold. And he just like puts the phone down for just like a second and then picks the phone back up. This is marketing. Because <laughs> basically that exact same, same thing happens, doesn't it? He's just like, oh, you want to talk to this other person? Yes. Let me get him. Put the rag on slowly. This is the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the best part is, because like, obviously like I'm annoyed by already. I'm like, that wouldn't work. What? But when he tries to do it to like the switchboard up and they immediately catch on to it. He's like, this is Pharaoh. And the switchboard was like, see, it's the same guy. It's like, this is definitely not Pharaoh. <laughs> I just, <laughs> it's 
it was one of those things where I got so hung up on it, I don't even really remember that much else about this episode. I remember them trying to start a fire and it becoming totally irrelevant. Well, kind yeah, kind of. We'll get to that. I just realized that I brought up how I liked the techno babble of explaining why it is that the doctor, the TARDIS shrank. I, and then I didn't say what the techno babble was. The techno babble was that like because the the doors involuntarily opened while they were traveling through space and time, the spatial dimensions got fucked up since, you know, it's bigger on the inside kind of thing because the doors opened while they were traveling through uh, through uh, space and time and the TARDIS was calculating its size and density, it miscalculated and ended up smaller than it normally would be. Yeah, that's that's just techno babbly enough to make me forget why they're small. <laughs> I have a soft appreciation for good techno babble of like, yeah, obviously that's not scientifically accurate, but like it makes sense from their world's internal logic. As long as it makes sense from an internal logic standpoint, I can I can deal with all the techno babble in the world. Meanwhile, I'm over here. I'm like a perfect audience member. I just accept everything that's given to me. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Like they open the doors and they're small. I guess okay, whatever. <laughs> sure, that's a thing that can happen. I made and I made this note. This is the first note I have for episode three. Uh, I know I should have brought this up sooner because it's two. We just went through two episodes, but shouldn't Ian have figured out by now? that a smart three-piece suit isn't really conducive to traveling with the doctor because he's wearing like a wearing like a nice suit throughout this entire thing and he's had to climb over shit he's had to deal with giant cats he's gotten tossed around inside suitcases he has to know like this is his ninth excursion with the doctor by this point he has to figure out that okay so like jeans and a t-shirt yeah, let's do jeans and a t-shirt. I had a question about that period. Why are their outfits different? Didn't they just immediately come from the French Revolution? Yes. Where did Ian ever get a three-piece suit? Well, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but they've had different costumes for, like, almost every single episode. But I, I feel like it's almost been explained. Like, oh, uh, geez, what was it? I think it was in Keys of Marinus. He's wearing the, uh, the kind of... Chinese like silk garb thing. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I I didn't see his outfit Marco Polo. He probably put that on. Yeah, at some he, point. he did that. That was part of his costume from Marco Polo. I think he just kept that on because he thought it looked cool, and he was right. I still really want that. <laughs> but I, mean, I, I felt like their costumes just kind of like evolved in a more sensible way because like it was less like they were wearing different things, more like they weren't wearing like their jackets over it. Um, but I don't know. The three piece suit was is such a bi- it's too big of a leap for me. I feel like they've mentioned the the um, the wardrobe in the TARDIS at some point. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know when. It may have been like Edge of Destruction or I, th- I think it was in I think it was either at the end of Edge of Destruction or the beginning of Marco Polo because they were in the Himalayas and it was cold. So they needed to put on winter clothes. I think that's when they mentioned that there was the uh, the wardrobe in the TARDIS that had a bunch of different types of clothes. Oh, well then I probably just totally missed that. I just assumed that everything you're wearing, they just found and took. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the explanation of why all of the actors in every episode of Doctor Who don't just wear the exact same outfit every single time. Except for the Doctor. The Doctor is the only person who just wears the same outfit every <laughs> single day. <laughs> hey, he, he looks stylish. 
He knows what he looks good in. Okay, well, I guess that answers that question. Which, yeah, reaffirms the point of if Ian can choose what he's wearing, why did he choose a three-piece suit? Yeah, he's wearing a tie. Don't wear a tie. The, you want to wear the blazer and the dress pants and whatever, that's fine. But a tie? Well, if I'm going to be guillotined or disintegrated by aliens, I'm going to look damn good doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, going back to the uh, the phone conversation thing, this is... This is one of my biggest pet peeves, just like from an acting perspective. If I was a director and one of my actors did this, whether on stage or whatever, I'd slap them across the face. Rule number one of acting like you're on the phone. Give the other person time to say something. He's on the phone and he just says his line one after the other. As if he's having a conversation with a person. But... If he is having a conversation with a person, the other person is not getting a single word in edgewise. Because he just says his line one after the other. He's talking to himself. He's just monologuing it. That always bugs the shit out of me when actors don't just take a second. Take a second, pretend that the other person has said something, and then say your next line. Maybe that's how his scheme worked. Maybe maybe if he's like, if I just power through and I just keep talking, <laughs> don't just approve it and get me off the phone. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, the fact that Ian only understands the formula up to a certain point just proves that the show has completely forgotten that he's a science teacher. There was the bit where they're, like, trying to get, like, corks underneath the receiver so that they can call the operator and try and get their attention. And my note is just, Doctor Who! Action! Adventure! Spending an hour and a goddamn half trying to get a cork underneath a telephone receiver! <laughs> Unmatched excitement! That scene drags. It is so fucking long. <laughs> they edited down three, two episodes into one, and they kept the cork receiver scene in its entirety. <laughs> It, make, it really makes you wonder, like, what was the boring stuff they cut out? Yeah, I kind of want to see the uncut version. Speaking of what was cut, there, I, I definitely saw something. There was something that was cut. There was an argument or a conversation that was had that they did not include. Because Ian is like, we need to get back to the ship. And Barbara is like, no, I've told you. We, need, we, we can't. Not yet. And... I was like, no, you did not, Barbara. You did not say that. And then Ian, like, appeals to the Doctor and Susan, and they're both on Barbara's side of, no, we can't go back to the ship yet. And I'm like, what? What argument was so solid that Barbara brought up that made them not want to go back to the TARDIS? Because we didn't see it, and it feels like a scene was cut. They just, they, they really gotta stop this pesticide. It means a lot to Barb. <laughs> For some reason, I'm like, I know she's going to, I know that she like is infected, but like, it's also been established that the doctor can probably cure her when they get back to the ship. So what is our, what the fuck is Barbara's argument to not go back to the ship that was so compelling? She convinced the doctor and Susan. We'll never know. We'll never know. <sighs> this, uh, I think this story is hilarious and 
almost hilarious just because the travelers have almost no impact on like the main plot of the story yeah that's actually something i meant i have a note for in my episode two one is that the whole business with pharaoh and everything and pharaoh and foster and stuff for, sorry pharaoh and forrester is 100 percent disconnected from everything that the tardis crew has has to do even when even when they try to be helpful, the only helpful thing they do is like get the switchboard ops attention by calling. Yeah. One of my biggest complaints of Reign of Terror is how it felt how the crew felt like they didn't really have much of an impact on the stuff that was happening. This one they have zero nada, nothing to do except for the the phone operator thing. And even then that was a fluke. Pharaoh would have made himself found out just because based on based solely on his shitty acting skills. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really don't think they contributed anything to the plot. <laughs> I, I, and I think what sums that up so succinctly and so perfectly, like, right at the end of the episode, they spent all this time, like, setting up this, like, contraption to, like, start a gas fire. <laughs> and the policeman basically, like, walks in, arrests Forrester, and he's like, "Put turn that gas off before you kill us all. <laughs> Yeah, and doesn't it, like doesn't the can like explode or something, and the shrapnel like blinds Pharaoh or something? I don't think because so, the can dude. the can does explode. Does it they explode? turn on the they turn on the gas, and then there's the really fun scene where Ian and Susan are holding the giant match, and they're just like running along the matchbox trying to ignite it, and they eventually do, and like flames are shooting at the at the aerosol can, and I'm pretty sure it actually does explode, and like. Because I distinctly remember Pharaoh like clutching at his face and then like going going to the ground. Because then he's like pulled up by the cop. Oh, I mean, yeah, that happens. But like they were trying to, weren't they trying to burn the house down? That's how I interpreted it. So, yeah, they were. They were trying to set a fire to get their attention. And I, my note here is so the plan is set a fire. Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. Get back to the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're tiny. How are you going to escape the flames? What if no one notices the fire? Not at first. <laughs> what do you do then? What if the fire starts in small and they just put it out? Okay, so remember how I just said how I really like the Technobabble, but only if the Technobabble makes sense within the internal logic of the world because it bugs me when it doesn't. And the way they cure Barbara is an example of it not making any sense. They, like, wrap up one of the seeds, and they bring it with them, and then they, I guess, just, <laughs> just like, hold it above their heads and just make a beeline for the TARDIS, get back into the TARDIS, put the seed on one of the tables, and then the doctor, like, pushes some buttons, and, like, the seed shrinks down to a normal seed size. And then Barbara feels a whole lot better because the amount of poison that she had on her hand also shrank so since she was a normal size that amount of poison couldn't kill her anymore and she was all better the seed thing makes no sense right we're all in agreement that the seed thing makes no sense my question is why did the seeds shrink but they grew if it's inside the tardis with them so because i the, the logic of hey if she gets bigger the actual physical amount of poison is gonna be fine i'm like yeah okay fine i'll accept that but the i i can't accept the seed shrinking in the tardis and then growing bigger yeah that doesn't make any sense to me because 
Because, like, where's where's the line? The seed goes in to the TARDIS, and I feel like the TARDIS grows big, grows back to its normal size. Shouldn't the seed have grown alongside it? Because they're inside the TARDIS? I don't know. I'd ask a scientist to try and explain it to me, but I feel like their brains would be just as confused. I asked a scientist to explain it to me, and they said, who the fuck are you? Who the fuck are... <laughs> I asked the scientist to explain it to me, and they said, Get the fuck out of my house! Uh, but yeah, makes no sense. But that's okay. Nothing about this show makes sense. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, any final thoughts about this episode This episode specifically? It was fine. It's, again, uh, it's another one of those, like, middling episodes. It was, I like, the pacing was nice. I like the three-episode structure. I have a feeling we're not going to commit to it. I, I actually do kind of like the arc a little bit of pharaoh and forester and all that uh wish the companions had more to do with it but yeah like it was fine <laughs> i thought it was uh, a fun little adventure i like the i like the creativity of the oversized sets i thought those that was really fun uh the music guy was just going fucking hard on this one <laughs> I, I personally could definitely feel where the parts where it was cut down to three episodes I mean, I'll, I'll trust their judgment if they thought that it was so slow that they needed to cut it down to three. But in my ideal scenario, I feel like it probably could have benefited from a fourth episode. But no. I want three episodes for everything. Uh, well, eventually we'll get to a spot where it's almost exclusively four episode stories. So, that But it is not this got day. Me nervous. <laughs> Say what now? I said that eventually has got me real nervous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You know, as I said, the longest episode is in this season, and it is slightly more than four episodes. <laughs> what is it like? It's like 12, isn't it? It's 12. Go to God. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I have a, fe- I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that it does not need to be 12 episodes. Probably not. Some some big things happen in that in that story. So, like, I do recall that. But yeah, it's probably. I feel like I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to speculate too much because who knows? Who knows how accurate I'll be. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify and Stitcher and basically every other podcast service. If you like us and you want to follow us, you can see more about the show on Twitter at QuickTripDW. And if you want to follow me and Mac specifically, you can follow me at CLB underscore Clark and Mac at Mac the Meh. Yes, and join us next time on our quick trip through space and time in which Caleb has the easiest time predicting what the episode will be about in The Dalek Invasion of Earth. I wonder what it could be.